Hello and welcome to the Tech Team podcast from Cancer Research UK. I'm Josie. And I'm Graham and we started this podcast to help tell the story of what we do at Cancer Research UK in the hope that other charities and people who are interested in technology will find it helpful or interesting to hear about our experiences. In this episode, we'll be speaking to James Charles Connington, aka JC, who is our Senior Search Strategist at Cancer Research UK. JC is going to be talking to us about SEO, that's Search Engine Optimization, and Search for Charities. Welcome JC, good to have you here. Thank you Josie, good morning. So we usually kick off by asking our guests um, to tell us a bit of background. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us about yourself and um, maybe what you did before you joined CRUK. Okay, so basically before I joined CRUK, I have been working in or around uh, SEO for about the last 15 years, so quite a long time. Um, I think I was one of the sort of first wave of uh, SEO surfers, as it were, because there were a lot of us around when it wasn't so much of a big thing. It was like an emergent tactic, an emergent strategy that... um, people were sort of becoming aware of and starting to apply to their web pages. But it was, you know, you were kind of doing a bit of web design, doing a bit of SEO, doing a bit of copywriting. So everyone was doing a bit of everything sort of when I first started, I guess. So and it's kind of come full circle because I think we've sort of come from a very specialized way of working. And we've sort of come to the point again where everyone needs to be a kind of almost an author of content you need to know a bit about web design you need to know a bit about content strategy a bit about marketing and brand awareness and and sort of put all that together so um yes um that's my seo experience i've worked for a few charities um before um and also i worked quite um, extensively in the retail sector for brands like casio and live nation as well give them a shout out um on, on the live nation front for those who don't know they're like a music events company and i've got a bit of a sort of background in the music industry as well so. yeah we're gonna ask you we're gonna <laughs> yeah, ask you are you nice. gonna tell us a little bit about your rockstar past and of course yes um so i my, my band had a number two single in the uk um in 20 2010 so it's quite a long time ago um that was called kicking k and the band was called junk star for those who want to youtube that and send themselves into a coma they can um <laughs> but yeah no I, I um you know we had a pretty good run at it and then we supported a few bands like the killers uh, white lies kate nash there's lots of great acts out there that we supported um during our run at it and um my, my sort of the zenith of that culminated um, in I, I was touring with a band called Omega in Central Europe for a while. So they're like as big as the Stones are in Western Europe, in like Romania and Poland and Russia and Hungary, countries like that. So I, I spent a lot of time with those guys, a um, couple of years literally on the road, playing to sort of 20, 30,000 people a night. So that was, you know. Amazing. It was fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, a real, really fantastic opportunity um, and a privilege. And um, I guess, you know, it was almost at the time I was, I was doing the digital stuff to kind of paid the bills because obviously the volatility of the music industry you know unless you're doing really really well it's very hard to manage uh you know what little money you make in you know and then you've got to pay people like your bandmates and etc so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and here we are yeah, exactly <laughs> and, and here we are <laughs> you've been playing in front of stadiums and now you're on the <laughs> cruk tech team podcast That's yeah. it. I'm, on, I'm on the podcast stage you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we all know this is going to be the highlight um <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about why it is you chose to work in, in search and in SEO in particular? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, like I said, I think I've always been, I was always drawn to kind of um, to numbers, to data. Um, and I sort of got into that whole digital piece when, you know, when we were sort of, when Dreamweaver was a thing in terms of HTML tools. I, I learned mean, I learned how to code or, you know, to make, build websites in Dreamweaver at yeah. university. Yeah. There you go. So that, <laughs> it's that, that sort of era, I guess. And I think, I think, you know, I've always had a passion for analytics and data and putting things together and also sort of detective work and discovery. Um, uh, and I think that SEO is one of those fields, if you want, in terms of, um, in terms of the sort of whole digital marketing piece, if you want, that that, that really lends itself well to people who can analyze data, see patterns, um, and study the impact it has, and then learn learn how to apply that um, and try and do it. So it, it kind of, on the one hand, you know, does the least amount of damage, but at the same time, sort of has the most uplift in terms of your content or your video, whatever piece of content you're working on. So I, I think, I think for me, it was kind of passion. From, from that was a data data born passion. Um, I mean, when I did my degree and my masters, that was in philosophy. So there was a lot of logic involved in that um, and analytics as well. So I've always had that bent towards that. So yeah, I mean, it feels like SEO has 
quite a heavy amount of evidence-based decision-making because it's ultimately based on, on, on the rankings that you achieve. But just to take a step back a bit, could you maybe define for our listeners a bit more about what we what we mean by SEO or search engine optimization and what, what's in scope for that as a digital kind of capability? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, search engine optimization used to be something that we would talk about when it was just related to a web page and everything on the web page. So copy, images, PDFs, any documents. Um, it was like we, we can optimize for this web page and, and everything on it at the same time. Whereas now I think SEO has changed a lot in the sense that you can take very different approaches depending on what you're optimizing for. So let's say, uh, you know, you, you have your publication site and you've got a lot of downloadable documents, PDFs, that kind of thing. Um, we saw recently for the first time that PDFs are starting to outperform standard web pages. So, for example, let's say, let's take a cancer research example. We might, we might have got a page that is dealing with symptoms of lung cancer. And there might be, it might be that we have a PDF that also, you know, it, it's quite a useful document for someone to have that might list symptoms and other, other factors um, around lung cancer. But the PDF might be, in Google's eyes, so well optimized and better and more exhaustive content than the web page. So Google's now starting to put that PDF above your web page in the search listing. So I think when we talk about search engine optimization in terms of a definition, it's almost you've got to think of it as content optimization. So depending on what sort of content you have, um, and this is where charities stand out quite quite a lot because if you think about it, there are um, informational or news-based articles, blogs, that kind of content. There are products, um, e-commerce propositions where charities have got their own online shops. You've got then informational stuff, which might be helpful or useful to people. With it. For us, obviously, people undergoing a journey with cancer or friends and family who are looking to get useful information. So got the informational side of things. Um, then you've got things like video content and storytelling, um, you know, where you can apply schema and optimize, um, optimize those different types of content in different ways. And one other thing charities do so well is produce infographics, which obviously for us, they get used a lot by clinics, doctors, GPs, oncologists, people like that, So, um, and health professionals. So, you know, it's almost like don't think of optimizing an SEO as being defined by it's just the web page and it's a search engine thing. It's very content specific now and that the techniques we use in SEO uh, vary depending on what the content is. So I think that's where a lot of smaller charities can have quite quite a bigger impact than they think they can because, you know, if you're a small charity and you're, you don't have a shop but you're exclusively, you're publishing a lot of blog posts um, and you're all about storytelling or brand awareness, you can do certain things specifically that focus around that. Or if you're a very rich media uh, intensive uh, small charity, you've got a lot of video content or there are podcasts or lots of images, things like that that are quite you know, handy, quite useful um, and downloadable, then you can specifically, you know, focus on that content type. So it's all very segmented and there are different techniques. And uh, that probably didn't answer your question. <laughs> no, it was really interesting. It was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I guess it's about, you know, it's about sort of choosing the right method. How have you found that SEO for charities is different to SEO for other organisations? Or, or is it the same? Well, that's a good question. I think, I think, I guess, like I just said, I think, where it's the same as everywhere else, in the sense that um, it's no different whether you're a charity or a bank or a hairdresser, uh, or you want to buy some clogs, um, for example, um, is the fact that, you know, it's content based, the techniques that you'll apply will be specific to the content. So, you know, um, it doesn't matter what your what your USP is, or what you're talking about, um, or what your content is, depending on what type of content it is, you can still use a similar kind of techniques to to apply to that content. And I think people tend to ask me sometimes at you know SEO networking events that they'll say, oh, you know, who are the kinds of people you would tend to gravitate towards, um, you know, go and talk to to find out what what they're doing. And I my answer is always this: it's always um, I, I'll avoid the charity people, uh, no offence <laughs> to any listeners, but I, I think typically the charity sector, and probably true for other sectors too, but there's a lot of navel gazing. We're looking very closely at what each other are doing in the sector. And that's great because, you know, we share information, we, we're trying to be good citizens to the sector. And I think that's really important. But I think where where that doesn't work so well is, is, is for SEO because, you know, um, 
I think what we can learn is, is a lot more if we're looking at the financial services sector or the retail sector, because essentially um, we're, we're, we're selling information, if you want, and we're trying to optimize our content to surface that quicker and higher up the search listings for our users. And, um, you know, if you look at Cancer Research or our website, we have uh, an online shop, we have a science blog, we have a section for researchers, um, we've got information and, and collateral and literature for health professionals that's very specialized we've got a ton of information about cancer um, that's that's so useful and really is our bread and butter it's it's what we're about it's helping people um, and giving them the best advice we can um, and, and, and removing doubts and that kind of thing so essentially we are competing with everyone else uh, in a land grab to get that online real estate and that's where that's where you can almost view even the informational pages as being being transactional by nature because we're trying to sell through our content. It's a, it's a selling thing. We want people to click on our content in search listings and choose that above, let's say, a competitor um, or another provider of similar content. So I, Google have got this term and this this kind of structure that they, they talked about a number of years ago now, which is there are four types of content. You have transactional, informational, navigational, and investigational. And... Uh, more recently, they put together this thing, this kind of study, which said that people, when they choose to click on a result, they're, they're in what they call a micro moment. That's I want to know, I want to go, I want to do or I want to buy. Now, how do you make sense of that and, and what? how can you practically use that for SEO? Well, the way I see it is, and this does go back to the question, is that I don't think there's a massive split between those four sort of points of departure, if you want, when you're choosing to click or the kind of search you carry out, because essentially you are buying information when you choose to click on, you know, uh, one of our search results, as opposed to someone else who's providing cancer related information. Um, you're making a choice to be informed, but you're also kind of buying that click, you're, you're, you know, even organically in a sense. So you're making a transaction. So I guess I'm saying that informational searches are transactional by definition. And I think when you then if you then sort of see it that way, finding out what the banks are doing, finding out what the tech companies are doing uh, with their SEO, which is very aggressive, or big retailers like Tesco, other supermarkets also are available, <laughs> you know, etc. But, you know, th these guys spend £800,000 a year on, on the SEO. Yeah. And they've got all sorts of things like pet insurance and obviously the stuff they sell. And so you can see why they spend that money. But Look at us. We're selling science blog articles. We're selling informational pieces. We're selling products in our shop. So we're doing the whole piece too. So in that respect, you know, go and seek out people who just aren't from a charity. Go and look for people who maybe um, are selling stuff, whether it's a banking app or or something in the financial services sector or a tech firm that's that's really you know growing a, a awareness about what they're doing through through their blog posts. How are they doing that? What stories are they telling? So I, I always say, you know, spread your wings and don't just stick to talking to other charities. But, you know, I think I think, yeah, just to sort of add on to that, there's one 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 thing we're trying to do at the moment here. Um, it's a bit of a bit of sharing for other charities. And I think I think you can see evidence of this across the board, cross sector, which is um, we can spend we do spend a lot of time being brand led, sp speaking about the brand, what we're doing, how we're doing it, all the great stories we have to tell. And that's really important. And, and you know, charity shouldn't stop doing that. But I think um, when you look at a lot of searches out there for things like all the events that all, all us guys in the sector put on throughout the year, um, every year. Like as know, in fundraising events? Fundraising yeah. events, um, you know, charity runs, charity walks, swimathons, you know, great golf challenges, charity dog walks. There's, there's so many, you know, fantastic things that are going on. And I think there's a tendency for those... I'm not saying for those teams, but for everyone who puts out those events online and publishes that web page that, that's got the event on there, to focus exclusively on the event and on the brand side of it and almost forget to ramp up the, um, the non-branded copy, the non-branded uh, information. So, you know, if it's a charity run, then, you know, what kind of run is it? Where's the run going to be held? What kind of places are you going to run past? Uh, make sure you get your local SEO stuff in there. So, you know, you have to, to capture the near me searches, because let's not forget here at Cancer Research, we get around about 60 to 70 percent of our traffic um, comes on a mobile, on a handheld device. So when people Google something like a charity run or, you know, I want to take part in a charity run, 
or what charity runs are there. So when they're not specifically branded searches. Um, like is that people aren't going to be like, Cancer Research UK, run. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess, I, you know, you, we have an audience who might have done something like Race for Life last year and they loved it and they're going to do it again this year and it's something they do every year. There's that audience. But yeah, this audience, the people that almost new customers, let's say, who haven't done it, but they won't they won't know that we do it or that um, the BHF do it or the Oxfam do it or that Bernardo's do it. So it's a question of saying, right, how do we capture those guys? How do we, how do we provide information to them in the search engine so they can find out what runs we have on, where they're held? So, yeah, really ramp up the non-branded copy, talk about it without those brand flags being there. Um, and it's not, it's not kind of minimizing the brand talk. It's just adding to that with non-branded copy. Um, and again, in the images, you can optimize images um, in the same way that you've got non-branded image descriptions in the alt tags and alt text, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, that's something we're trying to work on um, and step towards here internally, which is to try and encourage teams that we work with um, in the search team to to think about that and to sort of say, look, you know, we we we're looking at the 5K runs we do, and we know there's about 20 to 30,000 searches um, in the UK alone on that every month, roughly. Um, and we don't feel we're getting enough sort of traction, enough traffic from those searches. Um, so, yeah, we're looking to actively improve on that, and I think that's a probably good tip for, for charities everywhere to, mm. to do. So, yeah. like, Why is it important for charities to have good SEO, and what is good SEO from your perspective? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if if you Google, I mean, we, we have having this podcast today. I mean, one thing I noticed was if you Google, say, charities and SEO, there isn't that much out there. There's a couple of case studies, a couple of articles, um, and hopefully we'll now rank as number one. So this is this is cynically why we're doing this, guys, um, <laughs> just to get that number one position. But no, seriously, I mean, I think I think um, there are hundreds and thousands of of um, you know, articles and webinars and how-tos out there from uh, people a lot more skilled than myself, um, SEO gurus like Neil Patel and Brian Dean, that people might find useful in terms of what to do. I think the basics, as boring as it sounds, getting the basics right and doing them consistently across your content is the first thing. So no matter if you're a, sm a small charity or, you know, a startup and you've got something that you want to talk about, I think the typical split of SEO, we usually say it's on page, off page and technical. So technical SEO, uh, which we're doing a lot of work on at the moment, CO UK, that looks at stuff like site health, accessibility, UX, um, page speed learning times, log file analysis, crawl budget optimization, sitemap optimization. So there's a bunch of stuff, which we maybe won't go into right now, which I think if you've got a team uh, and, and you're in a bigger charity, a lot of the technical stuff would apply to you exclusively. So that's good SEO for big to medium-sized charities because you've probably got a resource to get stuck into that. And looking across the board at the charities of a decent size, um, who've got thousands of URLs, hundreds of URLs, it's very important to get your technical SEO stuff done and done well because the analogy I use is like we're sitting in, let's say, a Bentley and it's you know, beautiful bodywork, but the engine's bust. You know, we, we can't go anywhere. So people might look at our stories and say, wow, the, the storytelling's great and, you know, the logos look lovely and the video content's brilliant. But actually, um, because the technical SEO is not fit for purpose, it's not been done, or it's just, you know, it's just not working. So it's broken. Um, so basically, I'd say, get a sitemap in place. Uh, if you're a charity that's got a lot of images or videos, um, you can actually submit an image sitemap or a video sitemap. What sitemaps do is help Google and other search engines to kind of understand your content quicker. Um, they can help categorize your content. You, there are different tags associated with a sitemap entry, you have priority tags and frequency tags. So you can say to Google, look, this is our blog, come back and crawl this every week. Um, and, you know, the search engine bots, as we call them, will come back weekly. And obviously, they will then index your new content. So if you're publishing blogs or news posts, um, doesn't matter what charity you're in, you know, you you, you want a dynamic sitemap. Um, so speak to your web team and be very nice and give them biscuits and things. Uh, <laughs> it's important to do that. Um, and they tend to like biscuits. So, uh, yeah, it's good to sort of foster good relationships with all your teams um, to help you get these things done. But big charities, get your technical stuff through the game. I think small charities um, and, and startups 
you know, it's a bit different because, you know, there's not much money. You're just starting up. Like I said before, with the commercial sector, the charity sector too, it's fiercely competitive. We, we all want to occupy position one. We want the same space. Uh, so how do we how do we do that? How do we do that with maybe just one person or a part timer? Um, you know, and this is a this is a you know pain point for charities and MPFs, which is there aren't the resources to to enable them to to do what they'd like, I guess, when they want to optimize their content. So things like, I I think a few tips here. One is actually if you get in touch with uh, tech firms and with people who you know offer you, you you can ask the question um can we look we're a startup charity this is what we're about here's the website um can you give us you know maybe can we can we have access for six months can we can we use your tool on a limited threshold uh, a lot of tech companies actually are really really good about doing that so the first thing i'd say to you guys who are starting up an mpf is don't be afraid to ask don't be shy because there there's a lot of um, goodwill out there um, and people do want to help and I guess the idea is if you grow and the, the, the MPF the charity grows some point maybe you'll be able to afford to you know to buy an enterprise package so um, but do ask and uh, and off, more often than not you, you'll find the tech companies can help you second thing is if you're a local based small charity and you're all about events or a local community based charity work with local press outlets Find other blogs and people in the area who who are running websites about events and what's on, things like that, and get them to give you backlinks. Backlinks are still a big deal in SEO. Um, They're still, according to Ahrefs' last study and Brian Dean's uh, backlinko study in 2016, they're still one of the top three ranking factors. Um, You can really have a long conversation about all these things. But um, yeah, if if you're a new charity, it's going to be really tough for you to compete with with the big boys. So getting your word out locally and of course again if you get backlinks or articles about the fact you've just launched or you've got an event on at the weekend with a local press outlet on their website then you know it's that's going to be a good strong signal and people probably when they're typing what's on or charity events near me you know your, your content will come up and it might even not come up on your own website it might come up on the local news website but at least they can get back to you from there so and in yeah. a nutshell <clears throat> could you just explain what backlink is in case anyone doesn't know. Right, so backlinks are basically um, a type of link, uh, a web link, back to your own website from a different website. So uh, let's say we have a page about lung cancer, uh, about symptoms of lung cancer. It might be that, um, you know, I, I would get in touch with someone at the BBC and say, look, we've just launched this updated page about lung cancer symptoms, and the BBC will then run a story about this and they'll link back to your website from their page. And what that does, it does a few things. One is the better the source of the backlink, the more authoritative the backlink is seen to be by Google. So if it's the BBC or the Guardian or a trusted news source or publisher, you know, that backlink's going to have a, a very high score. And Google scores things out of 100 most of the time. Um, and you have two types of authority score, page authority and domain authority. And if, if your page is seen to be something that has got thousands of backlinks or hundreds of good backlinks, um, or even just in the tens, uh, if they're strong backlinks and they're really trusted sources, then Google will say, look, you know, enough people who we trust as authoritative news publishers or other websites are linking back to you. So we're going to give your page a boost in the rankings because um, it, it must be that you're providing the, the best information you can. Um, so, yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you. In terms of the approach that, that we take here at, at CRUK for, for SEO, do you think this differs in any way from other places that you've worked previously? And if so, how? I'd say yes. Um Principally, I think it's different because because we are the UK's largest charity. We obviously publish such a wide-ranging amount of content. Um, like we sort of touched on earlier, we have a shop, we have news articles, we have informational stuff to help people. We've got a science blog, we've got research stuff for researchers. Um, there's such a wide range of content. Uh, it's not like we're just doing one thing. So this probably is... I'd say the first place I've worked where the range of, for want of a better word, services we provide uh, is is just, you know, it's just so wide ranging. I mean, we, we do everything, essentially. Um, so because of that, that that really 
means that we are quite quite stretched in terms of we have to kind of come out of our e-commerce SEO sort of strategy uh, mindset and then we'll go straight back into maybe you know prostate cancer screening information and it's all about informational stuff being sensitive looking at how to work with teams to improve that then we'll pull out and uh, I mean at the moment we're doing a big big technical piece of work on sitemaps and a log file analysis so then we're looking at I think we opened a spreadsheet the other day with four million rows which actually a laptop didn't actually, it couldn't process it, couldn't open it. So we broke the laptop. Does not compute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> computer says no. Um, so yeah, so I think that's probably been the thing that's been outstanding compared to where I've worked previously is that I've had to literally have my head in and out of so many wide ranging things. Sometimes it's hard to focus and keep that focus. Um, but that's exciting because if we were just publishing, if it was just a blog site, you know, you're just working with one sort of content constantly, you know, it can get a bit dull. Um, so, yeah, that that's exciting. But at the same time, you do feel like you're kind of um, juggling 10 different types of content and, and having to sort of hot swap out of each one every five minutes. So, so yeah, I, I think the other thing to say is um, just the sheer scale because of who we are, along with the NHS and .gov, you know, and a few of few other of you guys, if you're listening out there, who've got big websites. What's really tough, and I'm sure you can empathise with this, is that the sheer scale of the task. You know, we're not talking about a few hundred web pages. We're talking a few hundred thousand web pages to uh, to try and understand, optimise, um, apply all this stuff to. So talking about the website health because our website health here is not where we want it to be at the moment um we are trying to improve that but of course that means almost like a retrofit exercise we have to go back over content that you know some of it's five years old ten years old um it's still good it's still valid what we call evergreen content uh still useful to thousands of people uh, across the world and in the uk um but we have to go back and say, right, these pages that there's duplicate H tags or there's not enough copy there for Google to really understand what the page is about. I think the scale and the magnitude of of, of the task here, that's probably the other big difference. It's, it's just huge, you know. Um, just, just to give a bit of context as well for our listeners, you work in the content and search team and in that team, I think, is it just is there just two of you that are focused solely on... <laughs> On search, that's right. Yeah, well, there's myself and there's my uh, my my trusty sidekick yeah. Ryan, who's the the uh, search strategist here at CO UK. And yeah, um, you and know, again, it's 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 and the number of URLs that we've got as a charity is. Do you, do you know what? <laughs> when I first quite, came here, well, it's 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 it's, 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 it's <laughs> massive and all that. Yeah, it's give um, or take massive, I'd say. Yeah, so it's, it's hundreds of it's thousands. A, it's not a, it's not an easy task to get on board with, and I think yeah, the scale and the importance of it is 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 huge and yeah we, we've seen we have been making quite a lot of progress recently we have yeah i mean there's some really um really good news stories that we've had in the last few months i mean um i think one thing when i came to see uk that I, I wanted to do was almost look at the let's call them elephants in the room stuff that maybe we knew about uh, but they seem so daunting so challenging that it would have been easier to just sort of carry on regardless and i i'm not one for complacency not that i'm saying we've been complacent but it's a bit like, well, let's shine a light on this. We've seen what it is, but let's actually not do the stuff with whistles and bells, which which will be lovely. So things like schema and doing optimization for featured snippets and people also ask boxes and, you know, um, but let's actually try and sort out the website health because I think that, that here um, and other charities too are in the same position with this, that there's a range of things that affect a website's health. But Google, um, jo- um, Matt Cutts from Google came out in 2018 and said, essentially, he wants us to view Google now as not a search engine, but a search guide. Everyone's scratching their chin and saying, you know, what, what, does, he, what does he mean? What, does, what on earth does Matt mean? What he meant was he wants us to position our content through the prism of helpfulness and guidance. Um, and part of that, in terms of the nuts and bolts, is accessibility. It's UX. When we talk about UX from an SEO point of view, it might not be what maybe a UX team talks about, but we're talking about it in terms of, right, how fast is my page loading? How much code on my page is obsolete in terms of CSS and JavaScript? There's there's a lot of bad code out there. There's a good tool people can use, actually, to test how, how good their code is and is it up to date with um, the W3C rules and google said that it should be but you know you can type any website's um url into the w3c compliance checker you can google that 
um, and it might not be performing that well. And I think we are now sort of as an organisation, we, we've we've discovered this and we're, we're taking big strides to to try and improve our site health. But again, you know, it's it's. Um, slow and steady kind of stuff really and that involves us working with the core sites team and the web developers um, and also trying to educate and inform people like whether that's campaign teams if they're publishing new web pages try and try and get them to do the basics so get your meta tags on the page make sure you've got enough copy for web for search engines to understand what the page is about, focus on user intentions, do your keyword research, et cetera, et cetera. There's a long list of stuff I could put people into a coma about if you want. (laughs) So just thinking about SEO in general, are there any SEO myths that are out there that you could maybe talk us through uh, and maybe debunk? Oh, and also, can I just say, I've, I've kind of got this vision in my head of like JC is the, the search or SEO like superhero now. So now you've got this like cape on me knowing that you're dealing yeah. with like hundreds of thousands can of I, web pages. Can I, I have thought, a shield? I want a shield. Yeah, yeah. Was, of course you can. I did think it was strange when you turned up to the recording wearing a cape, but now, <laughs> well, you know, now it all makes sense. So. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, SEO myths, myth-busting 101. There's a lot of stuff, I think, a lot of rubbish that gets talked, uh, if I'm honest, about uh, SEO, about what the best thing to do with your content is. One of the main myths that's been debunked now for a good couple of years, but still, and this this is why I'm putting this at number one, because this is still something that people don't really push out to their co-workers, to their colleagues, and to the content writers... Uh, you know, all the people that they work around in the charities. Um, there was the biggest ever case study done in 2016 by Backlink Co. Google took part in it. SEMrush took part in it. The, the, it was all a, a big, huge case study. And what they were looking at were to try and establish what kind of things help your web page or your video rank higher. So looking at ranking factors. Uh, ranking factor is, for those who don't know, anything that... Anything you can do to your content that might, you know, trigger it and give it a push. So you want to obviously have as many positive ranking factors as you can have. One of these things, and I think probably we've all heard this around the table, is there used to be this way of working in web design, which was design-led websites, design first. Um, And that led to, you know, um, some fantastic websites, very visual, very impactful, creative, great to look at. But actually, a lot of the pages... It was eye candy. It was very sexy stuff. But content-wise, copy-wise, answering people's questions and being helpful, those web pages didn't really cut it. And now, after this case study came out in 2016, a couple of years ago, they found that basically a a few things, but one of the main things is that the length of copy uh, has a direct relationship, a direct bearing on where you rank. And what they found was, and this is a bit kind of shocking for those who haven't heard this before, you can Google this. Uh, I'm not making this up. Um, the average page uh, first position or page one entry in Google tends to have a correlation with, on average, 1,890 words of copy. So, you know, when when this was published, uh, and this was cross-sector, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, but but no one has done a bigger case study since. So there's some debate as to whether do you get more backlinks because you're because it's a longer read, because there's more information on the page. So more people might tend to share that. And obviously, as we said before, backlinks are really important. They're a good thing to try and get for your charity to to point to your content. So is longer content ranking better because it has more backlinks or does it have more backlinks because it's ranking better? It's a chicken and egg thing, right? But yeah, so I'm not trying to say everyone, you know, double up, hire more copywriters, get writing stuff just to just to you know, to do that. It doesn't work like that. It's not about just writing more content for content's sake. And um, my content team would kill me for for trying to push this message out of writing nearly 2000 words page. But if you can be the most exhaustive and helpful uh, resource out there on a certain topic, whether for us, it could be, like we mentioned before, symptoms of a certain type of cancer, it might be that the charity runs page. It's very comprehensive and gives you advice and support if you haven't run before and you're a bit worried about that or anxious. Then, you know, having like a PDF or some copy on the page about, you know, getting a health check before you run, that might be quite useful to people. So it's really about giving Google and search engines more upfront. So the more content you give searchers on 
a page that's higher up in your website architecture, Google will reward you for that. And that's borne out by data. So, you know, it's one of those things. So it's not just write more copy, but the myth is that uh, that I'm trying to bust here in a very long-winded way is um, don't think with a design-led hat on, think with the search first hat on as well and think, you know, am I giving people enough information here? Am I helping people at this page? you know, to find what it is they maybe need. And there's different ways you can also help. If you do a Google search on the topic of your page, look at what's coming up in the people also ask box, look at what prompts are coming up. And that also helps you. And down at the bottom of the web page, you'll see related searches. And and you, you need to try and tap into those user intentions uh, and understand the intent behind the searches and translate that to the web page. Um, there's other myths. Uh, one myth is that keyword research is still what it was 10 years ago. I think a lot of SEOs out there will know this, but I still see and hear a lot of people pushing keyword research like it's the be all and end all. Like if you've optimized your page and you've shoved this particular phrase in 20 times and you stuffed a keyword in there 10 times, you know, it should rank well. And then you people turn around and say, my page isn't ranking very well. And you say, well, you know, it's because the content's maybe not that great. It's not It's not really unique. Um, the on-page stuff, the technical stuff isn't great. You've not done much to promote the page and get off-page signals. So things like social media shares and, and like I said before, local news outlets or backlinks. Um, so yeah, so Keyword research is still important. We should still do it because that shows us who ranks for what search query or keyword. Most SEO teams will have certain tools they use to find that out. One myth that I will bust right now, um, there's been a few articles about this recently, is everybody, you can ignore your average search volumes for keyword's because the way they are worked out is they are worked out on a, a rolling average. So if it says that something is searched for a thousand times a month, it's not. It's searched for a thousand times a month over 12 months divided by 12. So if that makes sense. So if you've got a campaign like we have, Race for Life, it, Google might tell us or a keyword tool might tell us that you know, Race for Life has an average of 10,000 searches a month. But we know in December that's probably 500 because, yeah, the campaign's off, it's winter. But in July that might be 50,000. So on average over the year, yeah, that's maybe okay. So be sceptical with your search volumes and try and look at dialing your content up and down around that. The other big myth is for people who are just getting into SEO or they've got a, you know, they're just starting out with a small charity. Be skeptical of if you're going to hire an agency or work with a different supplier. If any SEO or any SEO agency tells you that, yeah, we're affiliated with Google and we're Google partnered, be very skeptical. It's rubbish. Google don't actually reveal at all who they work with in terms of search and SEO. It's, they just don't do it. So, so yeah, that, that's, a, that's a big myth. Just ignore that because they're just trying to get your business. And, and we don't like that. So, yeah. <laughs> it seems like from the essentially when you're designing a page or a part of the site it's just design it with what's going to be the most useful thing for the user in mind and that every page should have every page should have context and make sense on its own yeah if you wanted to search because yeah, it should have it should make context as if it was the first page someone lands on on your site otherwise exactly. you're never going to rank as high as you hopeful 100% Graham and I think um one thing I've noticed in the last literally two months, it's a bit of a, a new thing, is um, we, we talk about something in SEO called the three-click rule. Now, this is because um, you mentioned the first page people land on. This is why I'm thinking about this. Um, the three-click rule is something that SEOs tend to apply or have applied only to shops, online shops, e-commerce sites, where you don't want the user journey to be more than three clicks from homepage to product. So let's say I'm buying a pair of clogs. You know, you've got the homepage, then you've got the category, which is green clogs, or sorry, I don't know, sports clogs. And then, you know, there's, there's 12 products and you click through to the product. So you're on a red pair of clogs. So that's that's three clicks to product. So that was a rule, a golden rule search engines want you to have if you're an e-commerce um, provider. That was very big in the UX world as well. Was it? Yeah, yeah. 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 There yeah. you go. The but, but what's happened now is we, I, I've noticed this. Um, there's a few tools that I use, um, big, you know, uh, huge SEO tools that, that I'm familiar with. They've started to... Uh, have raised flags in their in their SEO platforms when, let's say for us the about cancer section got thousands of URLs in that section. It's it's you know where a lot of our content sits. Um, so it's all information about cancer types and symptoms and stages and coping and what to do and support and everything else. There's a ton of content there. Um, 
we're starting to now in our audits that we run get get basically red flags saying these pages, um, you know, they're six or seven clicks down in your site. They're not three clicks from the homepage. And you're thinking, well, the SEO platforms are telling us that this is, you know, I thought this just applied to products in the retail sector. But now it's becoming more of a kind of talking point in SEO forums, uh, in articles that, do you know what? Search engines want us to surface the content as high up in the site as possible. So for new charities, my tip would be try and structure your site wide, not deep. So create more subfolders and you've got a few clicks down from there. So you're never more than three clicks deep. A site like ours or the NHS or, you know, other big charities out there. You guys will know if you're listening that, you know, you've got things like maybe drug side effects pages, which are buried very deep in your site um, because they're part of a user journey which makes sense internally. It makes sense to a user. But actually for search engines, we, we want to be able to put these pages up three clicks from the homepage now. And the SEO platforms themselves are telling us, guys, this is an issue. Take this seriously. So, so site architecture and putting your content no more than three clicks away from your homepage, that's, that's, there's a tide turning there. And I think, you know, Question is, how the hell do you apply that to um, to such a huge site um, as, as as many people listening might might be working on or working with? It's um, it's difficult, you know. So, it's it's looking again at the site architecture and you know trying to say, you know, maybe if there's a site migration happening, that's a good opportunity to restructure some of your pages. Um, and again, Google essentially thinks that it's black and white. Google's very precise with its algorithm. If your click, if someone's clicking on a page three clicks down rather than seven clicks down, Google will say, well, there's a reason why it's seven clicks down because it's not as important as the page that's three clicks down. So it will weight that. It will give it weighting. So, you know, and I know we've got lots of pages that are buried um, more than three clicks down, but they're just as important to many of our users and people out there as, as the pages that are just one or two clicks down. So so how do you weight that? How do you talk about that internally? So it's, I think it's something for teams to start talking about and charities to start looking at, um, restructuring. You know. What advice do you have for anyone wishing to get into search and SEO as a career? I think I think now you have to be more than an SEO. I think now you have to be someone, you know, this is hard for me to say, but, you know, I can be quite socially awkward. I think a lot of people in tech, there can be a stereotype about the, the nerd, let's say, or the geek. And, you know, we can be a bit insular and, you know, all about numbers and patterns and, and be a little bit socially awkward. Um, and despite my you know, playing to big crowds and everything else. I, I do feel sometimes quite uncomfortable talking to groups. Um, I, and I think one thing you have to be is you have to be um, willing and actually really proactive in terms of hooking up with your teams, your UX team, your content team, your campaign teams, your events teams. You know, put yourself out there. Um, and I, I'd say to people wanting to get into it, learn not just about what SEO is, the ways you can play on page, the technical side of it, but, you know, Learn a bit about CSS and JavaScript, coding. Learn a bit about content, copywriting, content strategy, content marketing. Learn about UX and how that works. Um, try and, you know, get in touch with your local charity. Get on the phone to them. I know loads of charities do all sorts of intern schemes and graduate schemes and things. So I think charities probably would love to have an extra pair of hands. And it would be great because you'll learn about a range of things that the charity does. Uh, you know, SEOs have to be aware of... Um, Branding and brand awareness, but brand brand led copy is a big thing now. Um, Neil Patel, one of my SEO gurus, he talks about the importance of what we call linkless mentions uh, or brand mentions. So Google now picks up on the fact if you if you talk about your brand in the third person uh, and it's not a link, uh, Google likes it. It, it. it you know talk about your brand, talk about yourself that way. Uh, it's it's a good good signal. So yeah, I think SEOs have to have that ability to communicate and energize and put themselves out there and and I think now um, people are becoming more aware of just like I said earlier how competitive it is out there it is a almost like a land grab for search real estate and that does mean you have to be you know you have to be quite aggressive to be honest um, in, in saying right these are our competitors what can we do that they're not how can we do it better we want to get page page one position one position zero not that it's no place for shrinking violets, but you know you need to have that that enthusiasm and keenness to to, to want that win, to see things grow. Um, and if you've if you're developing some new content, a new section for your site, um, I think I think there's a real satisfaction you get from working in SEO when you see 
It could be a new campaign doing really well. It could be an acquisition campaign, sign-ups or donations. And I think even if you provide support to a team and that campaign does well, you know, you can take some some pride in that because it is a team effort. I know that's a cliche. It's a cheesy cliche, but it's a team effort. And I think the one thing you can't be anymore is blinkered and sit there and just, just be sort of super siloed and do your own thing. Um, it really is about understanding how interlinked you are with everything the charity does, all the teams, all the people. And the more you do, the better that will stand you uh, in terms of getting your content ranked. And actually, if, 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 if you're not somebody who has those kind of tendencies naturally, it sounds like there's also quite a lot of opportunity for personal growth and development because actually sometimes those things that you mentioned might be kind of quite triggering or, or, or kind of, um, you know, it might be something you're quite nervous about. But actually, mm. if you can say, well, actually, this is an opportunity for me to kind of practice it and kind of develop as well. Definitely. And yeah. And I think, I think one thing to say is where other teams have, not a luxury but a bit of a safety net is there's not much room for error with SEO because you know when you make changes to a web page let's say um, it either works or it doesn't and it's it's a bit like you know you're testing things in the unknown there are best practice guides or things to do well and consistently well um, and things that just don't look good but you know, it's not until you apply that stuff to stuff on page and, and you know, the content starts getting some traction from, from uh, off-page signals and the technical side of your work improves. Uh, it's not until all that stuff is working in tandem that you tend to get to see big results so I get you, you know, I guess you get those results and that feedback quite early on though as well because yeah. you're like okay am I on the right track no or yes it's well, working yeah and that, that's actually going back to Graham's point about myths that's another myth that agencies say they say you know it takes six months guys for us to see uh, any impact of our SEO work you know that's that's just a lie. It doesn't. It, it, you know, if you do things well and you apply some good SEO best practice to your content, you can see results within weeks and sometimes days. I mean, it can be that quick, um, depending on what you do and how you do it. I think everyone probably knows why agencies will say that because they want you to be a customer for longer and it gives them more time to, to get things done. Um, but that's the other great thing about SEO. You do see the impact that your work has. Uh, and I don't think you can say that for necessarily every every area in tech but it's quite it's quite direct the results and the changes you make with seo so that's exciting and daunting it's a double-edged sword you know so so i know we've already talked about some of the trends um in seo in terms of making your site uh, architecture more flat instead of deep um, but is there anything else that you think charities or organizations um, should be planning for moving forward yeah I think um, I think it's a really good time for charities to to look at you know emergent tech how search is changing because it is changing very quickly um, one area that's just the buzz buzz phrase at the moment is voice search so basically anytime someone picks up a device or searches for something at home on their Alexa or bit of hardware they've got in the kitchen and they ask Google a question or they ask the phone a question, the search results that produces are different from paid results, they're different from organic results, they're quite specific. So how do we in the charity sector deal with that? What what can we do? There are four very clear sort of ways you can try to get your content voice search ready. One is to aim for featured snippets. So if you Google optimize for featured snippets, that should give you some information on that. Just do a Google search. That should help you. The second thing is perfect your local SEO. So this really applies to FNM teams, volunteers, if you're hiring, if you've got events going on, get your local... FNM is fundraising marketing. Fundraising and marketing. It's what we call it here at CLUK. Um, but yeah, get your local SEO uh, up to scratch. Again, if you Google um, local SEO and events... You'll get a bunch of stuff coming up. Um, improve your site speed. Voice search. The data we've got so far through the gate suggests that that voice search results are the ones that are coming up are being rewarded. The answers are being given are being from sites who have a better uh, site health than ones that don't. So I think it's a really it's a really a kick up the butt if you want for us all to get our site health in order. So let's improve that. And the other thing is just to get inside the minds of searchers. We all search differently depending on our mood, what time of day it is, what kind of day we've had. Um, you know, the kind of content that we deal with often in the charity sector can be you know um, around anxieties, worries, fears, uh, joy, storytelling. There's this whole range of emotions all. That, that feed into all these kind of searches. Um, so I think it's about trying to understand 
um, how people who were coming to your site find your content. What would they do differently if they search by voice? So I would say, and this is going back to my old uh, sort of film marketing days, get a focus group. Um, if, if your charity runs focus groups or patient involvement networks, that kind of thing, try and leverage that. Try and speak to the team um, and ask them, look, I, I want to find out how we can rank well for voice search. We want to obviously come up to help people when they they ask questions into their phones or on Alexa or Siri. So can we have a focus group? Can we speak to some patients? Can we speak to some people who tend to access our content and ask them, would they search for it differently if they said it out loud? You know, that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's where the insights lie in voice search. And I should add, Google hasn't given us any voice search data yet. So we're still waiting for that. But that's why I think do this now and, and you'll be ahead of the curve. And that is the name of the game. Perfect. And just quickly before we finish, uh, are there any other resources that you'd like to share with people who wish to improve their SEO uh, or just simply to find more about it? And so, we- there's, yeah, there's one really good resource that I, I tend to recommend to people uh, here at CL UK, which is called answerthepublic.com. That's one of my favorites. What that is, it's a kind of algorithm-based free tool that you can use online. You can put in anything. So you could put in homelessness UK, you could put in lung cancer symptoms, you could put in, again, I'll use the clogs analogy, uh, you could put in, you know, clog sales, whatever. Uh, and what it, what it will give you is a range of um, a range of intentions that lie behind any keywords that you put into that tool. So if you were to put in lung cancer symptoms, it would give you a list of questions, the how, why, what, where, can. So how do I get lung cancer? Where does lung cancer begin? How do I get help if I find a lump in my breast, for example? There, there are, you know, it will give you all the questions or intentions uh, behind the keywords and searches. And it's quite a good way to the, the, the takeaway from that is that you can actually use some of those questions as your heading tags on your web page. And actually, Google will look at that and say, you know what, you guys are answering three or four popular questions that are being asked about this content out there. So we'll reward that and we'll give your page a bump. So because uh, Google now rewards pages that are answering users questions. So answer the public is a great tool for doing that. Perfect. And we'll put most of the the links to that within the within the show notes as well. But that's everything we had to ask you, JC. So I just want to say thanks. Thank thanks you very so much. much for coming that was on. great. That yeah. was great. Yeah, we've got <laughs> some really good stuff in there. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. So thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing from JC. JC, do you have a Twitter handle at all that you'd like people to follow? I do. It's Big House Burning. And if you'd like to hear more from the technology team at Cancer Research UK, you can find us on our LinkedIn showcase page. And as always, you can read the technology blog at medium.com forward slash Cancer Research UK tech team blog. We also have lots of roles going within the technology team here at CRUK. So if you are looking for a new job, please search CRUK.org forward slash tech jobs. And if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast team directly, you can now send us an email to techteampodcast at cancer.org.uk as we'd love to hear from you. Really interested to hear if there are any episodes um, or topics you would like us to kind of discuss. So uh, email your ideas in. That'd be great to hear. All of the links um, and some of the resources that we've been talking about will be included in the show notes for this episode. And again, massive thanks to Steve Burke for producing the podcast. And as always, if you like the podcast, please share it on your networks, leave us a review and subscribe.